Welcome to 42 Answers from Founders for Founders, a podcast series brought to you by Project A Ventures, the operational VC. My name is Rainer Berak, operating partner at Project A, and our guest today is a very special one. It's Verena Huberts. Welcome. Hi, good to be here. <laughs> in this podcast, we talk to great founders or people who have been founders in the past, and we ask them a standard set of questions in the domains that we think matter tremendously if you want to build a successful company. And these are tech, growth, people, data, and ESG. Verena, you're a very special guest. You're, you're a different type of guest that we're having in this series. Can you introduce yourself, tell us who you are, what you do and why you do it? Yeah, of course. My name is Verena, Verena Huberts. I am 34 years old and I um, started a new journey recently. Um, I'm a member of the German Bundestag of the Parliament, um, a part of the Social Democrats and responsible for economical questions um, as a vice deputy um, chairwoman. And prior to that, um, I started my own company, Kitchen Stories, at the age of 25. We wanted to revolutionize the way people cook. And um, we um, have more than 20 million users, 60 employees, and we exited the company uh, to Bosch uh, Siemens Home Appliances in uh, 2017. And I left uh, Kitchen Stories as a managing director in 2020 in order to run for parliament because I always complain about politics. And I felt, well, where to change that? And that's the German Bundestag. Amazing story and amazing career that you made there with, with the big success of Kitchen Stories. Um, and obviously, I... I, I um, I was eager to have you on this podcast because I know that about all the uh, questions that we're asking here, you have a lot of, you bring a lot of competency out of your founder position. But now you said you want to change things, you go into politics, you take up this job um, at, as a member of the parliament. And here and there, it would be great to also get your perspective um, out of that role on these questions, because I can only imagine that being a member of the Bundestag and actually running that is like a little, you are like, you, you are like um, being, being a candidate and then being a member that is probably like, like a company on its own within the, the bigger political party. Is that, is that fair to say? I mean, yes, we are also employees, um, uh, sorry, employers, because we uh, do employ employees and we need to be on our, uh, nobody is here to tell us what to do. Um, we are uh, on our own, of course, together with all the other members of the parliament, but it is a little bit like a startup, um, but also sometimes more like a corporate because there are rules and orders and walls um, and you cannot just build on your own. But I mean, also as a startup, you act in a market environment. So I guess you can say that, yes. <laughs> All right. And um, I know that sounds a little bit weird, but in your current role, the product, is it fair to say you are the product because in the end you try to make people vote for you? Or is the mm -hmm. is the program of the political party the product? How, how would you describe that best? Um, no, I'm definitely not the product. I am um, the product would be more like the laws and legislations and programs that we do because that's actually um, then in execution. Um, for example, now helping with the gas um, situation with the LNG, so we have a, a law um, that we are going to build the LNG terminal. So that's more the product of what we're doing. We're more like the 
leaders deciding what we do and what products we build, um, but we're not a product. All right. Thanks a lot for that. And now let's get started. People. If you would start a new company today, what would be your first five hires? CTO, head of HR, head of sales, and then depending on what product I'm building, um, some specialist with a broader perspective that can also do more because in the beginning you just need to do whatever needs to be done. Um, so maybe like biz staff, entrepreneur and residents, people who are just willing to do whatever it takes and um, do the work. And so you would start with very senior profiles like C-level people on the decisive um, components and not hire first, I don't know, more junior people to, to build it up from the bottom. If I had the money, um, and I assume <laughs> as a uh, second-time entrepreneur, I wouldn't have to bootstrap with my own money. Yeah. I would definitely go for already bring people on board that can go with you. Because for Kitchen Stories, and junior, like a student developer built the iPad app. But then we, uh, our second employee um, was our CTO, and he was able uh -huh. to build the back end, um, to build Android, to develop different platforms. But if I had a choice, I would I would bring in um, good people that can also then hire a team, but uh, that are also willing to do the nitty gritty stuff in the beginning, because in the beginning, it's not a management position, it's a operational position, you just need to get mm -hmm. done whatever needs to be done. Yeah, I, I bet you wouldn't have to bootstrap that. I'm, I'm, I bet we, we would be, we ourselves would be, would be happy to chip in if, <laughs> if you would ever go that way. Um, so you already mentioned what, which direction were actually were your first five hires. Um, now I'm really curious. Uh, in your current position, um, you, you have also put a team together for sure. What, what were your first five hires in, in that position? Um, so my um, head of staff, um, my um, in Berlin and one in Trier, and then um, two specialists for the policy fields that I'm handling, um, which are economics and also building and um, urban development. Um, so these were the first hires. But nothing like uh, like a marketing person, for example, in order no, to help no. you boost your okay. I got a social media person on board last week and it's feeling good. <laughs> ah, I can imagine. Um, if you look at the job market today, what are the hardest hires to find? Tech and sales. Mm -hmm. That's an answer <laughs> that we actually get quite <laughs> a lot. Not so much marketing anymore, which, which it used to be. Um, mm. And even data used to be num number one. And it's uh, we hear that less often now. Um, how... Do you recommend to measure employee satisfaction? Um, first of all, retention. Is everybody leaving your company after six or eight months and it's just burned out and unhappy? Um, so that's a really clear sign. But then um, we actually came up with an employee questionnaire um, that we measured um, every quarter where we also had like um, soft facts, but also like how happy are you on a scale from one to X, but also gave them the opportunity um, to vote on different projects and more the environmental um, aspects. But I think a questionnaire is one thing. You can have your numbers being measured. But then on the other hand, my co-founder Mengting and I, we always sat down every half year with each employee because we were still at a size where we could do it. And we had a coffee because just talking to people and 
seeing how they feel, how they feel in their department, how they feel about company strategic uh, goals uh, and questions that you might not think that there are questions is so much more important um, than uh, just measuring on a scale from one to X. How about employee performance? Any idea of how to measure that? So we work with OKRs, um, not on an individual level, but on a department level, because we believe, um, or we believed, um, as I'm not in an active role anymore, that um, it's about the overall company goal and how do we get that done. Um, but on the other hand, I mean, there's people where you can really, really clearly measure output. For example, a chef, how many recipes do you get developed per week? A salesperson, what's your um, revenue that you bring in? Um, an HR person, how many people do you get hired? Um, so, of course, there's specific KPIs, but after all, it's about the whole company picture. So that's why we worked on an OKR system, because if our CTO doesn't get his tech person to build the next um, feature X, um, then the sales team can't sell it. So I think it's all interconnected and it's not about I am reaching my goals and then we are fine, but everything else is not working out. What's your favorite type of org chart? How would you structure an organization? Um, we actually also under, we did some, I mean, not restructuring, but um, as a company grows, you need to be agile and you need to see, does it still make sense to cluster everything under that um, management level X or do you need to be uh, different in a way? But we had... Um, a management team with five or six departments. And then um, I think um, the, the, the largest step was when we didn't introduce another management level to lead different sub teams. Um, and then we basically had a, linear um, structure but also some metrics elements where one person was leading a department but also closely cooperating like product and tech for example um, with the product team so you have like a co-joint ownership and i think it's not always about um, direct leads of reports yes you need to be um, aware of who are you reporting to but i think working together in project teams also on sprints and different constellations is more of a it's not written in in stone and it needs to be yeah it needs to grow it needs to adapt and it also needs to be lift uh, so it's not a static thing okay um how about your approach to culture how do you how do you how do you deal with culture and what are the key elements for you I think company culture is really crucial in a startup, especially because um, you do not just write it down, you live it. Um, and for us, it was, um, for example, we only wrote down our values, um, I think in year two or three, because we um, started living family style. We started living a go the extra mile. And we also had elements of celebrating success in our draw fix but also the bad news and i think that's what makes a company and um, that needs to also grow if new people enter the company so that's why it's written at some point but it's also it, that's what the beauty thing the beautiful thing in a startup is you don't come into a company where there's a culture that you might like or not but you build the culture and you um, mm -hmm. choose the people accordingly so that they fit the company culture and um, that's why it's so important but it's also a history that needs to be written. Do you have the opportunity to carry some of that learnings about culture and startup culture into your into your current structures? Of course. Um, I feel that in politics, there's a structure and a culture that's been built over years and decades. 
And that's also changing now with a lot of new people, also young people in politics. Um, it's rather um, fixed. For example, you have a meeting and then you have an agenda and then it's strictly somebody reports and then you talk about it. And it's not so much as we like to work in startups. For example, you have a um, open Yeah, I mean, there's sometimes brainstormings, but I mean, structured ways of identification of ideas. And um, of course, you can bring that in and the culture of it's not a top down. It's a thing of togetherness. And um, you you we, for example, introduced retrospectives now. And I think they mm -hmm. they never did a retrospective. Um, so uh -huh. about also committing to mistakes and learning and asking and re-asking. And I think that's not inherent in politics or it didn't used to be inherent in politics in the, in the past. Do you recommend a remote first or an office first culture? Office first, because you get, need to get to know people. But I mean, in these days with home officing, um, I can also see that companies are, bu are being built all around the world. But then it's crucial to come together as a team at least once or twice a year so that there are these personal bonds beyond video. Tech. Um, I guess you would agree that Kitchen Stories is, was, is, is a tech company, right? Yes. There isn't a meaningful way to, to redefine uh, the work that a political party does in the sense of a tech company, or, or, or is there any thought in that direction? Uh, of course, I mean, um, we as the Social Democrats, we are now building, so it used to be analog only. So you could go to your Ortsverein, so your local party meeting, and then you discuss and then you write a paper and then it goes to the next level. Now we are building um, online participation um, platforms where, for example, somebody from Berlin and Hamburg and Munich and Trier, they could discuss what um, the topic X means to them and they could work on it. Um, so I think the collaborative um, digital remoteness working is also now something that we need to have in politics because also um, the meetings are at uh, 7 p.m. and if you happen to have a family you might not want to sit in that local pub or bar so I think um, politics also needs to change its way of working and tech can be an enabling um, metric also the way we communicate um, political decisions it's not only the interview in a written newspaper anymore it's Twitter it's Insta it's Twitch so all all kind of different platforms um, that are used for political communication. And I think we will also see a lot of um, innovation in um, voting, um, for example. In, in the German Bundestag, we always come with a piece of paper and we make our marks. And we are also now discussing maybe it could be faster, like in the European Parliament, if we can just push a button and we don't need to um, count all the different votes every time. It just takes forever. Okay. Um, if you have these two functions, you have product managers and you have developers, um, which side should be in the lead? Product needs to define the strategy, the features, and needs to be leading product vision. But I mean, everything that when it comes to tech, the CTO and the tech department should be in the lead. And that's why product and tech need to work closely together. The, the tech is more the execution of the how and product is... Mm -hmm. um, drafting, but also um, our tech team um, sometimes has feature ideas because they live and breathe and are in different um, forums. They go to WWDC, they see um, ideas. So it shouldn't be the one decides, the one develops. Mm -hmm. It should be a joint process of also ideation. And that's why we had a, a really close 
way of working together. So you didn't have that um, feeling of uh, more A and B and disconnectedness. Um, so can you, can you explain a little bit more how the decision-making um, process should work? How, how do they together decide on what's to be developed next? Yeah, so for example, the product manager is um, somebody who needs to talk with all departments in the company. What does the sales team need? What does, what does the HR team need, the business intelligence team? And then um, the tough decision is what has which potential, what is how, how urgent and how does it actually uh, go together with the overall company um, objectives and uh, vision. So that's when we as a management team, as a strategy team, um, in our uh, bi-yearly um, strategic offsites, we decided on the strategic roadmap. Um, where do we want to develop? Where do we want to head? Um, and with these pillars in mind, um, the tech team and the product team, they decided, okay, um, what what makes sense? Um, does it make sense to roll it out on all platforms? Do we go iOS first? Um, do we need to... Um, yeah, how do we get it done? And do we have better ideas of um, execution of this feature? And then it basically trickles down and they have the bi-weekly sprints and the backlog planning and um, the sprint planning. And then they do the estimation. And most of the time it takes longer than anticipated. <laughs> and um, it also um, needs to be adapted because there's bugs happening, etc. pp. Um, so it is actually a process of a strategic mind mapping and then um, execution and in, in, in sprints. Mm -hmm. What's your take on product-led growth, a term that is around a lot during the last one or two years, at least? A good product is the, is the base for everything. I mean, we didn't start with any marketing budget. Uh, we started because people wanted okay. to use um, Kitchen uh -huh. Stories. So a good product, um, you, you can put a lot of money in a bad product and it's not going to fix it. It might lead to growth, but customer acquisition costs at some point... Um, It's, it's not healthy and sustainable. So a product with metrics and unit economics that will work out in the end, it doesn't need to work out in year one or year two, but it needs to be, it needs to, it needs to work in the long run. And um, that's why product led growth is definitely the way to go. How about design? Which role do you see for design in a, in a digital startup? Really, very important role. Um, we also see a lot of innovation led by design. I mean, who needs the next 10th um, project management tool? But Asana uh, disrupted everything. Now there's all the Mondays and the Wunderlist guys are working on something else. And it's not design. It's not only the beauty of the interface, but it's UI and UX. So user interface and user experience. And Kitchen Stories, for example, we entered a saturated market for recipe apps and platforms, but we found our turf and our niche or our place because the design and the usability was so much better, including the content. Um, and that's why design matters and design is um, more important than ever. And it's also an advantage for startups because the big corporates, I mean, look at Amazon, look at Chef Koch, look at all the corporate apps and platforms They are everything but usable. And to think about the user centricity, user perspective, I think that is uh, it, it's, it's in the DNA of each new business model and startup. Would you ever recommend to a, a young founder of a digital startup, tech startup, um, to outsource software development? Yes. 
because in the beginning software development is so hard to find and um, there's good opportunities also in European countries to work with remote developing teams and agencies and I think to get you an MVP going or if you have a peak and you need to have that feature developed it's always a good idea to outsource if you because hiring takes forever and then they need to be onboarded so of course go for it but not forever because you should own your product Okay, so it's basically a, a help to, to, to jumpstart, but then you should yes. um, basically In get house. it back into your... Okay. Growth. Um, if you think about the complete funnel from brand to marketing to sales to customer success, did you have all these functions at Kitchen Stories? In the beginning, my co-founder and I um, completed a lot of these functions. For example, I ran the sales team uh, by myself for the first one or two years. It was only me. And then we had the first person uh, joining. Um, but uh, yes, now we do. We do have um, sales, BI, marketing, product. Um, yeah. Do you see any of these in the lead when it comes to the uh, to the growth process? Should, should brand be the... The, the decisive part, should marketing drive it? How, how would you put together a structure among them? So for us, growth um, as a platform growth was um, in was um, basically driven by our marketing, te marketing team. And we called them actually growth team uh, because we, uh, we said marketing is paid acquisition, but it's also SEO, it's also community, it's also more, the, it's growth hacking. Please find the cheapest way of getting users to use kitchen stories and to stick around. Um, so you really had to think about the whole user journey, the whole funnel. But uh, our growth team was the marketing team. So our CMO um, was in, in charge of that. Okay. I guess uh, if you think about a party like the Social Democrats, they also have all that. Like they have for sure brand department, they have marketeers, uh, sales, I don't know, maybe for fundraising if that plays any role mm. including customer success or so but as centralized i guess it exists and it's centralized somehow right um yes and no we used to be only um we used to be loud when it was around elections so campaigning uh -huh. but now for example our um, agency Prinkart and look um, they did the very successful um, Bundestag's election last year where Olaf Scholz won. And we mm -hmm. now hired them as a stay-on agency. So we are always, we are communicating better in a way what we do, not only when it's around elections. Um, so also okay. changing from um, peaks to continuous communication. Yeah. Um, if you think about these functions, uh, it easily happens that they work in silos. Um, and it's the, the blame game usually starts when the success isn't there. Then if you think about the funnel, the earlier stages say the problem is the conversion at the end and the later stages say that what we received as leads wasn't, wasn't good enough. How can you break down such silos? How can you make sure they really like work well together? OKRs um, coming together with objectives that includes every role and every perspective and also disrupting the silos and in, in bringing the people together um, behind those objectives um, is, is key. So it's not a blame game, but it's how do we reach our goals together. How important is brand in your opinion? Brand is more important than ever because people care about what the brand stands for, what values are included. Is it a love brand? Is it a beautiful brand? Um, brand is what, what makes people come back and what, what makes them 
a loyal customer. Um, so I think um, it is really, really important, but also hard to build a brand from scratch. Yeah, because especially if you, you are, you're an early stage uh, startup, um, how should you approach brand? It's, it's very often for a lot of founders, they, they see all the opportunities that you have with performance marketing. They just want to quickly sell something, test their products. And brand is often the last thing, but it's necessary. And you have, uh, how would you approach that? How would you recommend a young founder to approach that? First of all, think a lot about the name and the CI and what you want to, so what, what does this, the brand, um, what does it mean to you? Um, I mean, we also did a facelift, um, not a relaunch uh, in order um, of our logo and, um, but the name always stayed the same, Kitchen Stories. And I think it's it's really important. I mean, not every not every product is a B two B is a B two C um, consumer product. But even if for B two B people need to associate you with something. Um, so even if the brand is not something that you where you need a landing page and people need to be happy to be here, um, it's important that in your pitch deck, etc., that it's all coming out of one perspective. Um, if you want to be serious, then it's it's not that loud and funky pitch deck, etc. So it's really important to think about um, your corporate identity, more or less, and the brand is one visible piece of it. And then we are coming also back to culture. So it's all interconnected. What is your company and how how is it perceivable for the outside and the inside? You, your office, the Social Democrats, which marketing channels do you use and why specifically these ones? Um, me, I personally use all of them, um, not all of them, but I use a marketing mix because you reach your voters on different um, channels. So Facebook for the rather elderly um, community, Insta um, and LinkedIn and Twitter for different um, for media consumers, etc., um, but also newspaper and articles and interviews um, for people who are not in the digital world. And then I also go out. So I, I, I go to um, wine um, events in my in my hometown in order to talk to people. I have pizza and politic events. So I want to I want to bring people in touch with politics that normally do not really care. Um, and it's more important than ever. And my party, um, the same. They use, I think, a couple of more channels like TV, uh, Prada, because there's budget and also because really important politicians get invited to TV shows. But um, yeah, we need to communicate in all different ways and channels. TikTok, that topic? Um, SPD, so the party, yes, I don't. Okay. Um Are there any salespeople? Uh, I mentioned earlier, I wonder, um, like your party, you probably do some level of fundraising or relationship, building lobbyism, etc. So there must be some kind of sales profiles employed in such a structure, right? I think we are all salesperson um, because uh -huh. we want to win uh, voters and we need uh, we need to do fundraising because people also need to uh, vote um, or um, need to yeah contribute to electoral campaigns luckily it's not um, like in the US where you have um, people doing fundraising a couple of hours a day but here when mm -hmm. it comes to election it's also important to um, raise funds um, definitely so that's more about the candidates you mentioned earlier that uh, tech and and um, yeah salespeople are actually hard to find um, now imagine you're a young founder and you need tech-savvy salespeople, where do you find these? 
you need to go the extra mile. So really using LinkedIn, writing people, headhunting, um, so active searching, but also go to events, um, try to convince people to work with you, ideally as a co-founder, because then they have skin in the game. Otherwise, give them a lot of ease up so they have an incentive to be on board early. But I mean, finding the right people in the beginning is like finding the investors. It's hard and it takes a lot mm -hmm. of no's and you need to be consistent and persistent. Data. Um, how did or does uh, data make kitchen stories successful? It's a large part of the business model and we didn't really anticipate it to be um, that important because in the beginning um, we were more thinking about content and usability, but then we learned that we do have a lot of data. Um, and we installed a business intelligence team because we can track when do people when people go shopping, when do they cook, what do they eat, what else do they like, what do they search for. We see it on a global scale. And we were building cohort analysis around that. And we are providing insights for the home appliance industry, but also the FMCG industry um, that they normally wouldn't get because you only have from the classical media KPIs such as page impressions, video views, but not deep down in behavioral and real-time um, structures and, and behaviors. And that's actually a large benefit that we do and that we have and that we also monetize in an anonymous way. And uh, it became a large part of our business model. So that sounds like um, that quite some, if not all, functional areas of your business were supported by the data team. I mean, classic is marketing just to optimize your marketing campaigns but that 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 is definitely broader no no no, no. it's um, also content is being created around the search intent so it's basically at the core of what we do data mm -hmm. informed but not data driven because if you only do what everybody is looking for you're never ahead of the trend but you're only mm -hmm. providing um, the assets and content pieces and functions that everybody's looking for mm -hmm. um, would the data team answer specific questions or would they be free to Uh, just explore what's there and and uh, identify opportunities both they identify and do market screenings and see where people and flows are headed but we also give them um, specific questions um, in our um, behavior court analysis for example we build um, brand personas so then they are really neat in what they explore but also they have time to go big and have all the calculations running in the background and the scripts um, so it's it's interesting they are also we um, in the beginning we more had business people in the data team and then we also had the first data um, engineer and um, that could also combine even uh, deeper um, connections um, how can you ensure that people do what the data recommend instead of putting it aside and then following their gut feeling? Or would you recommend that in the first place? So I think if you build a new feature, so for example, the iPhone wasn't built because there was a need. Some, if you build something completely new, data is not providing you. It might lead that there is an opportunity or something, but that's actually your own vision and your own uh, productness product um, yeah, conviction, but um, data, for example, sometimes we, of course, clearly follow data. If it's an A-B test situation, if the one button works better than the other, then it's a clear data decision. Um, but everything else is, I think, sort of in the middle. Um, and it, it, that's, I think, also the um, connection between politics and management. Um, 
we can we need to analyze data and we need to bring our own conclusions out of that analysis but uh, yeah it's it's not that we just follow where, where the data leads because you need to to make your own um yeah you need to come up with your own next steps and from all perspectives that's why it's important to have product marketing hr everybody um, who is involved in for example that data analysis okay what do we do with it now What would you recommend young founders uh, regarding data tools and infrastructure? Should they build a data warehouse, buy something off the shelf? How, how should they approach the, the tooling in the first place? I think in the beginning it's important, um, unless you have a lot of money and a lot of capacity, to use what's there. So we started, for example, with PaaS, that's a ready, steady backend provided by Facebook. Until we could hire our first backend developer who built who built a better backend. Back, back um, in terms of tracking, we used Amplitude, uh, which is a behavioral um, analysis tool, not only Google Analytics, that's rather static. Um, but I think it's really important that even in the beginning, and it's something that we did wrong, um, in the beginning, you don't really have time for a nice, I would say, foundation. But it's important to start building a foundation as you grow. For example, Zeo. Uh, we didn't really care about SEO um, in the beginning. And later we started with keywording. We started with the infrastructure. Um, and we always felt zero is such a long run thing. Oh, it doesn't really make sense to already start now. But it's important to, to already in the beginning. Yeah. Um, it's not one or zero. Try to implement already some structure as you go mm -hmm. and you can always build on that. And then you don't need to start from scratch in year three or year four. But in the beginning, yeah. use what's there and um, scale and, uh, and build be better um, as you go along. Um, which roles do you see necessary in a data team and, and how would you structure them? Who, who would be the, the leading position there? So we had a... Um, head of BI, business intelligence, and it already shows you that it wasn't a data team only, but business intelligence, um, meaning we are already bringing the business part together, seeing what business products can we build out of the data that we have. And um, in that business intelligence team, we had data engineer or a data uh, person, but that was also connected in the tech team, but helping um, the business intelligence team and some business intelligence analyst. And they closely worked together with the departments. They sat in the product meetings. So they were more like interconnected in team sales, in team product and tech, but then always bringing in their perspective and their, their ideas. Um, so um, there was more like a unit working in different other units. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, to whom would the lead of the BI team report? So she was actually part of our management team. Um, oh, okay. So uh, head of BI was on the same level than our CTO and head of product. Difficult question to ask a politician. Is GDPR a struggle or an opportunity? Definitely an opportunity because data protection made in Europe, made in Germany, can be something so powerful if you look into China, if you look into the US, where it, uh, it matters less. Uh, but we also overcomplicate things a lot. So I think it needs to be even more. I mean, it's not, it's a European standardization, but every country is doing it um, differently. And I think there needs to be more pragmatism uh, in how we do it. But the idea is a huge opportunity. Environmental, social and governance. 
Um, I guess I can ask, why did you start an ESG company? Because actually the step that you took into doing the role that you do now is like running an ESG company, right? You agree? Of course, and even more. I mean, it's more than, well, I mean, be, below the topic of social, you can frame everything. So um, also the whole economic uh, parts, um, also the thing about work and transformation. Yep, definitely. What are you doing? Let's take your office as, a, as, a, as, a, as the entity, uh, so you and your team, in order to help our environment. I mean, everything is around um, saving the planet now. And how do we how do we treat our fossil resources? How do we become independent from them? How do we become a renewable economy and and country? And how can we grow um, jobs around that? Um, because we need to shut down coal coaling mines. We need to shut down um, nuclear um, fabrics and uh, and uh, production sites. And how can we create new jobs where something else is closing down for a reason? And that's important that we need to be faster than ever, especially in the light of um, the really, really um, cruel war um, now and our dependency from Russian gas. And um, yeah, it is uh, definitely um, we are in the driving seat now in order to solve that question. Yeah, you answered already also parts of the where the social aspect is. For the social democrats, obviously a focus topic. Um, understand that. Um, ESG, the last, the, the G is for governance. Um, and maybe also looking back at the kitchen story uh, stories uh, time, um, what, what can a company, what can a startup do in terms of, because everybody says you should follow ESG, like they all employ ESG offices, etc., What can what can a startup do in order to, um, yeah, have have good governance policies in place? Mm. Yeah, ESG is actually really a topic like uh, digitization. It's such a buzzword being used everywhere. Mm -hmm. And what does it actually mean? I mean, governance is about. Um, on the one hand, what are your rules and structures leading and guiding you? And are you only focusing on EBIT, or is there something more to it? Um, also to your shareholders um, if you are a if you have a private equity or even publicly traded uh, but also it's for me it's about um, how can you be a good corporate citizen what is mm -hmm. your way of con contributing next to having a social uh, department um, um, like a social corporate responsibility department or doing some greenwashing etc i think we are living in a time where um, also consumers are willing and are asking for better products. Um, they, they don't, they care about the environmental footprint. They care about the social footprint. And even if they don't care, um, we are, for example, with the Lieferkettengesetz, so supply chain legislation, make a company take responsibility for the supply chain um, and how it's being produced in um, countries. Um, what, And there's two aspects to it. Um, how do you, how are you treating um, the environment and how are you treating the people working for you? Um, talking about child labor, etc. cetera. Um, mm -hmm. So there's a lot of companies already doing good work and moving more than they are. They have to move. But um, we, as uh, legislators, we need to make sure that... Um, Governance means that companies need to be ahead of the time and ahead of the time in terms of the ESG criteria, but also ahead of the time in terms of um, 
How do you get um, more women in responsibilities? How do you um, how do you make also that um, societal shift work when um, when work life balance, when childcare? Um, uh, so how do you how do you enable that? Uh, how do you be a good member in our in our in our country? And it it means social, it means environmental, and it means being a good corporate citizen, having good um, governance in place. Do you think investors get that? Do you think they would um, appreciate um, startups and their efforts in this direction? And uh, it should it does it or should it rather support getting funding um, versus a pure focus on revenue? Ideally, you can be a unicorn and a world saver, but um, most of it, or sometimes um, purpose-driven companies, um, they are not, they, if you look into the Excel sheets, they might not provide the hockey stick that a VC, and I don't want to blame VCs because your business model is to maximize um, investment and money. Um, so I think um, what, what we need is also a new startup funding ecosystem that's going into social innovation, into environmental innovation, um, something that the UK is already doing, um, where they have a social innovation fund um, with public uh, money of people who die and the money is used, um, if nobody claims it, in order to push such business models. Um, I think ESG is something you can easily tick off ESG criteria, even if you just do it a little bit. I mean, if you look into Deutsche Bank and all their funds, they all comply with ESG criteria. And still, our um, industry is not, uh, we're not there yet. So I think it's less about the criteria. It's more about how hard do we try. And also, every company and everybody can try hard. Um, and it's it's less about ticking off the criteria. I think we need a different way of um, asset funding and venture funding, but we also need to make all the other companies try harder. I jump to the last three questions. First, which is the one podcast all founders should listen to? How I built this. It shares the stories and the, it's a US American uh, podcast and you can listen to the story of five guys of uh, Patagonia. And it, I think it's so ins inspiring to hear how they struggled and how they, how they built it <laughs> and how they okay. just believed in their idea. And it's, it's, it's good because it's not, of course it's magic and it's hard work, but I think uh, in Germany, especially we are now only seeing role models and we are now only looking behind the stories and, and it needs to be a topic that, that, that it's broader and more honestly discussed. And in Germany, we tend to be always, everything is running really well and we don't really talk about the hard times a lot. What are your top two pieces of advice for early stage founders? You need to be passionate about your product or business model. Otherwise, you will give up. Um, there will be more hard times than good times. And it's, if it's only an opportunity that might seem easy and you and your McKinsey friends uh, decide to leave a well-paid job, you will be back you will be back faster in consulting or a good or well-paid job than you are. Um, yeah. Then you can, then you can look at, so uh, be passionate about what you do because otherwise you will not be able to do it. And that goes uh, perfectly along my second advice. Don't give up. I think um, it's so hard all the time. And um, if you jump, 
um, try and try to go new ways and and be persistent and um, then it it will work out or it can work out uh, but not giving up and making the first move about something that you're passionate about is is key to the early stage last question and my personal growth hack who are the two founders that i should ask exactly that set of questions and you can make an introduction for me I don't know if you already talked to Anna Alex from Planetly, but I think I did. Uh, <laughs> you did. Oh, so the bubble <laughs> is uh, too small. Um, you can talk to Paulina Köhler from um, Ready Place. It's a startup okay. that I also invested in, uh, to be fully honest here. I'm not doing any startup investments anymore because I want to be uh, clear in my political role. But she had under um, did a lot of learnings um, i mean they are bringing a marketplace to the wedding market and uh, with the corona shutdown of two years no marriages happening uh, it was a really tough time and she always she built a new a whole business stream around um, content marketing and uh, so she's really inspirational and um, fighting hard and i don't know if you already talked to her I didn't. I would didn't? really okay, appreciate the introduction. And the second person, um, did you already talk uh, recently to Lukas von Kranach, One Football? I didn't yet. I think it's really um, interesting to see where they are headed now. Um, also mm -hmm. with the whole NFT environment, uh, just yeah. closing a really big round. I mean, we started kind of simultaneously. They were a football app. We used to be a cooking app. And I think the business model is changing so fast um, for him. And it's. Uh, I think it would be really interesting to get an update also from his learnings of, I think, 10 years of entrepreneurship. Now. Yeah. All right. Then... Irina, thanks a lot for answering our 42 questions. Thanks a lot um, um, for being here with us today. I know you have an extremely busy schedule um, and for your insights. Uh, and I'm very much looking forward uh, to the introduction that you just mentioned. Um, have a great day. And to all the audience, please um, keep following our podcast. Uh, leave a like and uh, hear you again next week. Bye-bye. Thank you so much and uh, exciting to hear, excited to hear more. Hello, podcast listeners. We have some exciting news for you. Our Project A Knowledge Conference is back and happening on October 7th at Kultur Brauerei in Berlin. If you want to get to the heart of the European startup ecosystem and connect with founders, leading investors and digital experts, Join us for a whole day of knowledge sharing and networking, where experts from every area of digital operations will share their insights and best practices. This year, we're bringing you an amazing speaker lineup, including Christian Hacker, co-founder and CEO at Trade Republic, Lubomila Jordanova, co-founder and CEO at Plan A, and Philip Glockler and Philip Klockner, co-hosts of the Doppelganger Tech Talk podcast. Apply for a free ticket now or purchase one directly from our website, knowledge-conference.project-a.com. 